Hi, welcome to Six Feet Apart. I'm your host, Daniel Headley. This is a production of Cloud and Bridge, a ministry of Heights Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Today I'm interviewing Jason Caldwell. He works for Optum New Mexico, Director of Operations for Optum New Mexico Surgical Services. Is that what it's called, Jason? Yeah, it's pretty close, close enough. Great. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to you on this platform. I like it. Likewise. Jason, you know, you warned me about your title being a mouthful, and I tried to do it, and I still messed it up, even though I wrote it down, so I apologize. You're, you're fine. I forgive you. <laughs> so, Jason, as we talked about earlier, uh, the reason why we're doing this show is because we can't get together as Collado and Bridge, and I thought it'd be good, Justin and I thought it'd be good, to create a venue where folks can get to know each other uh, an interview at a time, and uh, this is going to allow people to get to know you a little better. It's going to allow me to get to know you a little better, and I think that's the wonderful thing about people is there's always more to know about one another. Absolutely. I think it's a great platform. Hopefully I can learn something about you too. During we'll, this just, process. we'll see. You know, I, I'm really guarded in these interviews. You know, I'm going to be in complete control. <laughs> just kidding. That's not okay. what you told me before. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. <laughs> Jason, um, let's, uh, let's just see where this takes us. We're going to talk a little bit about um, your career and, uh, and, and how that informs uh, how you think. And then, um, and we're just going to see where, you know, where this naturally goes. So Jason, tell us a little bit about what it's like working um, in the medical field, which is, which, you know, is a huge field. So a little bit about what you do and then how that's being affected by our current um, uh, viral pandemic. Sure. How about, how about I unpack it in three major categories? One is just what I do, how I feel about it, and then, how, and then what's currently happening with the pandemic. So functionally what I do is I'm an administrator, just like a hospital administrator. Um, I liken it sometimes like being a principal. Um, mm except we don't have a hospital. Optum Care New Mexico is the care delivery arm of our parent corporation, which is United Health Group. United Health Group has United Healthcare, which is the payer or the insurer side of the house. And then there's care delivery of which Optum um, lives inside of. And so even though I'm an administrator, people usually think of hospitals when they hear the word administrator. Um, ambulatory care groups like ours also have administrators of which I am one. And so functionally what I do is I run all of our surgical practices. Um, so Optum Care New Mexico has everything from ortho, an orthopedic surgeon practice. We have like four ortho, orthopods, um, ENT, general surgery and bariatrics. I'm over our gastroenterology department. Um, I'm forgetting a few, I'm sure. Okay, hold um, on. Can you just define ambulatory care? Because I, I, I have a feeling that I don't know what that means. Yeah, sure. So care deliveries usually either in a hospital or not. And I guess we could just leave it there. If it's, it's not, we, in industry parlance, we usually refer to that as ambulatory care, ambulatory care settings, whether it's in an office. And sometimes it can be in what we call an ambulatory surgery center, which is some, an old school term might be day surgery. So day wow. surgery, an endoscopy center where you get colonoscopies, anything that where you have procedures performed or you're interacting with your physician in an exam room in their office is called ambulatory care. Great. The Thank opposite you. of that is when you're in hospital. So good. All right. That's helpful. Um, oh my gosh. But I lost my train of thought. You are go over gastroenterology. That's where you left off. Yeah. Yeah. I'm over colons. So colons <laughs> and that's knees exciting. and gallbladders. Totally. Um, I've actually watched a few colonoscopies. It, 
it is exciting. It's a it's a weird piece of anatomy with a lot of twists and turns. And I've actually watched part of my own colonoscopy. Oh my gosh, you're yeah. a champ! You, they didn't put you all the way under. Well, it was uh, it, it was not a full colonoscopy, but it was definitely more than I expected. And uh, apparently, my pain tolerance is high, so the doctor decided to explore farther than he normally would. And then okay. he said he said this comment of, "Hey, you're taking this pretty well," and <laughs> and I thought. <laughs> Well, you know, you could stop whenever you want. <laughs> but there's definitely quite, yeah, quite a view on that camera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. I have no idea how they know where they are. Just looking at the uh, monitor up on the wall while manipulating the, what I call joysticks on their hands. It's, it's complicated, but pretty cool. Mm. So um, I'm the administrator for all those practices. The way that most medical groups are run is there's there's a non-clinician, which is myself, and there's a clinician, which is usually a physician. We run these practices in parallel. So I have, I have a physician partner. Uh, it's two different people depending on the practice, but, but I run point and all the staff and um, equipment, uh, all things unrelated to the actual care delivery. And then the physician is the one that um, all the physicians report to that person and they deal with doctor stuff, scope of practice, um, standardized clinical procedures, all the things that are cl specifically clinical nature. Anything outside of that kind of falls into my wheelhouse. So that's what I do for a living. I think I, the next topic was about it and, and not to, and I know that you also work at Sandia Labs, um, just much like my wife, which I think is a great job. And when I've done family day at the labs, it's super interesting. I, there's a part of me that regrets not becoming an engineer. I, I love <laughs> to take things apart and put them back together. But I would say that, and if it's okay that I share this about my marriage, um, Dana, my wife, will come home sometimes, like all of us, frustrated about work. And I think some of the, some of the things that she gets most frustrated about, um, I shouldn't say it that way. I think when she does get frustrated, I think the root of some of it is that she feels that she's lacking a, a connection to improving our community. And she doesn't really know what good she's serving by the work that she's performing. Right. Um, and I feel blessed not to be in that position working side-by-side physicians, I'm not actually the person that places my hands on people and helps them feel better or heal, um, but I play my part in that. And so an anecdotal example that I'll reference is um, the group that I'm with now had lacked breast surgery for many, many, many years. And of course, we all probably have personal connections to certain healthcare problems that we ourselves or our family members have experienced. But of course, my mom had uh, breast cancer Right. a couple of years ago and just watching how one the anxiety of receiving that diagnosis and then secondarily the complexity of the decisions you have to make to navigate the healthcare system can be overwhelming for for patients and fortunately for us my family um, we have me in the industry so i'm able to help my mom navigate each decision point help her to understand when she needs to advocate and when she needs to just wait and so when I walk through our buildings and I see all these wives and mothers and sisters and daughters that also are receiving this diagnosis, I feel implored or a call to action to help solve that for them. So long story short, we were able to recruit a breast surgeon to the, to the practice. We were able to coordinate um, the purchase of a new capital item, a 3D um, tomosynthesis mammography unit. So it really kind of helped establish. That's a mouthful. Um, uh, yeah, it is. And I struggle to even say it on this call but establish yeah. a, a breast program for our patient base in our community. 
and it, it doesn't just have to be breast. There's been times when we, when I've been able to successfully recruit a urologist when we didn't have a urologist. So there's so always, you actually hire doctors. That's correct. Yes. Yes. That's pretty cool. Huh. Um, so the point of all of this is I feel a true emotional and moral connection to the work that I do. I know that you know, how hard the day is and how long it is. When I come home at night, I, I know my heart's in the right place. And when we do it well, our community benefits from the work that I do. And sometimes I feel like Dana lacks that. And it just, not to take away from her, but it does create a sense of appreciation for what I do for a living. Yeah, there are those careers I feel like, uh, you know, my wife is a school counselor, you know, I think teachers, doctors, um, I, I think there are there are those careers where it's not hard to understand your the importance of your place in a community, and I think those are really wonderful careers to be in. Uh, it, so one thing you didn't know about me probably is uh, I was a biology pre med major until my junior year of college, and when I switched to engineering. So oh, okay, yeah, I was Why? hoping. Oh, um, you know, it was actually the product of prayer. Uh, I was planning to go to medical school, and I had been working towards that, and. I imagine that would have happened, but um, I had I realized in a conversation with someone that I hadn't been praying at all about my my career. I had decided, you know, I had kind of thought through what would be the thing that I could do that would allow me to serve God in my community, and so I had wanted to do um, to be a doctor and then and then practice medicine uh, in de in developing nations, okay. and that was my goal. And then one day I had a conversation with someone who said, so why are you doing that? And I was like, oh, I want to do this for this reason. And he goes, he goes, yeah, well, what would you do if you weren't, you know, thinking about it on those terms? And I said, well, what do you mean? I was, he's like, well, what would you do if you were to, you know, like pray about it and think like, you know, according to, you know, things you're interested in. And I said, oh, I might think of engineering if I wasn't just thinking of service only. And then he said, don't you think you could serve God as an engineer? And of course, I felt like, I, well, I can't say no. Of course, you can serve God as an engineer. And so that, that conversation caused me to start thinking about why I was doing what I was doing and whether or not um, that was really where I, I belonged. Um, even though I still think, uh, had I gone down that path, I, I think that would have been rewarding. Um, I think I you know, realized that God wanted me in this other direction. So, But I know what you mean. I was um, recently getting oral surgery, and I thought, man, these are real servants. I mean, there's these people in my mouth, you know, blood all over their hands. You know, I mean, these people yeah. are, I mean, this is a real service, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, uh, you know, I'm not the one, like I said, I'm not the one doing work, but I feel blessed to be attached to it. Yeah. You make it happen. Yeah. I mean, you, you well, make it, uh, you know, accessible to us, right. And part of the system I, we're in. I try to. Good. Um, so I think that's what, what I do, how I feel about it. And then you were asking a question about how the industry is responding to the pandemic and maybe what role I'm playing or my perspective. Yeah. And so I'll just, I'll kind of riff on that briefly. Um, sure. What we've done, I am proud of us. I think that um, when I look back in time, our president, our, our local president of, of Optum Care New Mexico was really forward thinking and made some pretty bold decisions to force us to move and act quite quickly. Um, I'd say, early March. And to be frank and transparent, when he was making these decisions, I thought they were a little bit ridiculous. I thought he was overreacting slightly. Um, hmm. But every time he's been proven right, that we've done the right thing. And, and we, get the, we get our bearings on um, that position by looking, we're considered part of the Mountain West region. And so we have sister markets in Las Vegas and Arizona and Denver and Colorado Springs, et cetera. And so of course we have these, these leadership calls um, as a region at least once a week and just getting 
getting to the point where we realize that they're, they're lagging behind us to consolidate clinics or to acquire point of entry screening. Um, we're all doing it now, but we were the first to do it. Kudos to my, to our president, our, our local market president for making those decisions and, and really forcing us to, to react in a way that we did. Um, so just kind of give you some, some block and tackling of what we're doing. We have completely shut down essentially all elective face-to-face -face interactions with our patients. So mm -hmm. in my lane, that's mo I'm mostly proceduralist, mostly, mostly surgery. And so right now we are performing surgery, um, but it is only for acute presentations that are, I don't want to use the terms life or death, but um, sh just shy of that. So we absolutely will see you in our clinic and take you to the OR. If your appendix bursts, if you are going to present to the emergency room, if we don't see you, that's right. pretty much the only people that we're seeing in our clinics right now. Wow. And that is a huge shift for us. So sure. we have a lot of idle physicians, a lot of idle staff. At least we did at first. Um, I'll get to why they're not so idle anymore in a moment. Um, okay. But shutting down all of that was the right move. And we did a first in our community. Um, a lot of it, it's a weird dichotomy. I work for a Fortune, I think it's Fortune 4 or Fortune 5 company with United Healthcare. And there can be a lot of um, balancing business and healthcare can be a tricky and sometimes conflicting and opaque position. Um, you know, I've talked briefly about it before. Right. The fortunate circumstance right now by with us working for United Healthcare is that we have the financial resources to guarantee all of our physician salaries indefinitely throughout the pandemic. I, so, was, I was wondering if I could ask you that question, um, but thank you for answering that anyway. Yeah, of course. It really enables us to make strategic moves that um, benefit our community in a way that other, um, other practices just cannot. Not because they're malicious or evil, they just don't have the resources. And so it's really easy to go to a group of orthopedic surgeons and say, hey, don't fret, we're gonna guarantee your salary. You'll be held harmless throughout the duration of this, but we need you to go down to the curbside and do coronavirus testing today. Right. Um, if, you, if you can't say that, if you can't provide that financial security first, it makes a second ask much more difficult. And so right. I'm extremely um, grateful to be in the position that we're in right now where we're able to not just our physicians, but all of our staff are guaranteed their 40 hours a week in pay. And it allows us to maintain the manpower to respond to the pandemic in the way that we want, as opposed to laying people off or furloughing them or, or sending them home without pay and losing, losing grasp of those resources to respond to the surge when it occurs. So we've done that and kind of get back on track. We've, we've put a kibosh in all elective volumes. The next big move we made was we consolidated all of our operations to three primary sites. I think we had like 12, maybe 13 before that. I lose, I lose track. But um, Jack, our, our president, really wanted um, all face-to-face -face interactions limited and as few real estate operations running as possible because that just burns through PPE. The more, right. the more facilities we have open, the more people are walking in and out, the more gowns and gloves and masks and face shields we're using. And so... It, it just economies of scale. It just doesn't make any sense to have all that work spread out so thin across the city. We should consolidate to a few sites and focus on those few sites to make sure that we're being judicious uh, with our PPE, basically. How are um, you all doing with PPE stock? It's, um, we are, again, work with United Healthcare, extremely fortunate that they're, they're able to supply us with PPE for our, our patients and our staff. Um, that I don't know, I don't know how we have access to it otherwise. Um, um, 
And it's a unique situation where I'm not a clinician, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a physician. And these are dynamic, these, these circumstances are dynamic and they're, they're ever changing. And so we are extending usage of PPE in a way that was never thought of, you know, a year ago. And clinical guidelines say that every N95 should be used only once or continue to use them just to, just to preserve our PPE. And the PPE that we do have, you've probably seen this on the news, we've become extremely, extremely protective of it. It's all underneath lock and key. We have daily audits of where it is. Wow. Um, the people that run my clinics for me, only, they're the only person that have the key. We have to make sure that the key's under um, close protection, et cetera, like just constant vigilance on protecting the PPE so that it and, doesn't uh, walk out the door. Yeah, and you contrast that with what this was like before the coronavirus. Did anyone even think twice about uh, PPE going missing or getting lost or? No, not at all. N95 masks, boxes of gloves, gowns. Um, the endoscopy center, that's part of my, my lane where we do all of our colonoscopies and upper EGDs. Um, Lord, I, I never looked in the supply closet where we keep all of our gowns and our booties and our face shields and, you know, um, things had to go drastically wrong um, for me to notice that something weird happened on our supply spin for inventory. And so the level of scrutiny and the level of security around PPE, is just, it's, it's new to us and I think it's new to everybody, but it's absolutely critical. Now, I've been really touched by watching a lot of folks, just ordinary everyday people um, who aren't in the medical field, uh, trying to do their best to contribute, you know, people making these homemade masks and making face shields and uh, dropping them off to clinics and hospitals. Um, are, is that type of homemade PPE useful in a hospital setting or do, are those things better used for personal setting? We, I you know, like, let me disclose my answer because I'm, maybe there's somebody that's going to listen to this that is a nurse or a physician or a PA or an MP. Um, not that MPs aren't nurses, they are. Um, my bias is that something's better than nothing and that every, every physical barrier you can put between um, a mucous membrane and the outside world is going to be to some benefit. And so there are a lot of patients that are coming into our facilities with their homemade masks. And we're not requiring that they switch them out for a surgical mask that, that we have at the front door. And um, we're retaining the higher, what are the right words here? We're retaining the higher level of protection PPE, like N95s are more effective than a surgical mask. All of those are retained for our staff that are performing COVID testing at curbside. And the rest of the stuff is um, um, something that's better than nothing. Let me just say it that way. Yeah. So where do you see... Um kind of, uh, you know, you've talked about being encouraged by, you know, how your company handled it. And what about, um, have you seen things in your community or, you know, in the news that have kind of warmed your heart or made you felt like, hey, I didn't see it going that way. And I thought that was encouraging. Yeah, um, I have, I think, and it goes both ways there, at least let me speak for the people that I work with. It's a unique situation, and uh, um, I think something we might say off the cuff or quite commonly is this is when people show their true colors, mm -hmm. and it's quite rare that somebody pulls, pulls away or pulls out. Um, we've been just absolutely pleased with the response of everybody being more than willing to go wherever they need to go. And so, I mean, you have a, a job, you have a desk, you have a place you like to work, and any time that, that gets changed or your coworkers have that changed, it's super common just not to be happy. And right. so when, when you go up to Daniel, like, hey, Daniel, I know you've been working in this building for the past eight years. 
guess what, today you're going across the city over to Rio Rancho and you're gonna help them with their COVID testing. Um, I, I was anticipating a bracing for a, a negative response and, and it has happened, but it's been so infrequent that it doesn't even bear mentioning. Overwhelming response has been people more than willing to lean in and do whatever we ask them to do, even if it's not part of the normal job. So at least in my data life work, that's what I'm seeing. Um, I have not been as attentive to the news during the past few weeks as, um, as I should be, or definitely as my wife has been. Um, so I'm not sure, I, I can't point to a specific story I've heard about how the community is coming together, but at least that's what it's like for me in my office. I have um, a neighbor who's a nurse and she's a delightful person. And I often think about them when I walk by their, ho their home and I, and also Bethany's sister is a nurse. And, um, you know, and I think about these folks and I think what, what on earth can we do to help the doctors and nurses, folks in our community, uh, to love them back? I mean, on, on the one hand, I think, you know, going to their house all the time may not be what they want. They might want some <laughs> downtime or time away from people. I don't know. But, you know, what would you recommend these people that are in many cases overstressed and, um, you know, exhausted from maybe doing more than they're used to doing? How can people love those uh, medical professionals around them? I think my, my first just got response is just prayer. If you can just pray for these people. Um, and you mentioned it, you, you mentioned it just briefly, like going into their house probably is not the best thing. And I, for two reasons, one, I think the most obvious is, is all healthcare workers, I shouldn't say it this way, but it's very common for people to see healthcare workers employing the general public just to stay home, just to stay home, to, to flatten, flatten the curve and try to reduce any amount of spike that's just going to overwhelm the system. And so of course there's that. Um, and I can speak for the people that I work with and myself, we're exhausted. And so it's an odd dichotomy. And I may have mentioned this to you before to, to have people in your personal network who um, aren't busy right now. And there's, there's heartbreaking stories associated with that in certain situations. Right. And there's some people that, um, are cleaning up the garage and learning new languages, which I think is admirable. And then there's the flip side, which is me and the people I work with, and we are slammed and we're tired. And I've worked the past few weekends, um, Saturdays and Sundays, and I just want, I just want some time off. And so I would say prayer, um, stay home, don't go out unnecessarily for the obvious reasons. And then if there's just any way that you can help healthcare workers that either you know or that you live next to, just recuperate. Whatever that might look like for them or for you is, is my advice. Um, I'm planning on taking a vacation when this is all over. I feel like I need two solid weeks off. That's what it sounds like. It really yeah. does. So we've got just a couple minutes left here. Um, and, I, and I do want to make sure that I give you a chance to ask some questions and or maybe just volunteer some information that you think uh, would be helpful for people listening. Okay. Um, let me ask a question of you. All right. Uh, um, how did you and Bethany meet? I, let me preface this with, with maybe, I hope this isn't too flattering, but I admire the both of you. I, I see genuine love and appreciation in your marriage. Uh -huh. And I think it's a beautiful thing. Um, but I don't know your, I don't know your story. I don't know how you guys met each other. I don't know how it came to be. Yeah. And, um, maybe how do you guys have that special magic spark between each other? Like what's, <laughs> what's the secret sauce? Well, we met in college. Uh, both of us were leading Bible studies. I was leading a 
college Bible study for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in Albuquerque. I just moved to Albuquerque. And as soon as I got to Albuquerque, I was at Chico State um, for a year doing national student exchange. And so I came back to Albuquerque. Um, well, I came to Albuquerque to, when, when I switched my major, actually. I was at University of Texas at El Paso doing a biology pre-med. Then I did a year at Chico State, biology pre-med. And then I, at the end of that time, I did that prayer thing I told you about, switch majors. And I thought, well, if I'm going to switch my major, I'm going to go to New Mexico State. It had a better reputation for engineering. Um, and so I switched to New Mexico State and yeah. got involved in University Christian Fellowship that summer that I switched. And I started leading a Bible study that summer. And Bethany was coming to, she had just finished high school and she was coming to college. And she was leading a Bible study um, that summer as well in Albuquerque. She hadn't come to Las Cruces yet. And uh, so then I'd heard about this girl that just graduated high school was leading a Bible study. I was like, oh, that, she sounds like a pretty cool person. And so then she arrived at New Mexico State her first year at college. And I'd been, I was a junior, she was a freshman. And uh, we got to be friends. And so through um, mutual leadership um, in campus ministry, we got to know each other. And we started dating in, uh, see, she got there in 98. And we started dating right as I was graduating uh, in 99, the end, December of 99. And it was really awkward because we started dating and I had already been accepted into the Peace Corps. So I knew that I was going to be leaving in six months to West Africa. And so I thought, what am I doing? Starting to date this really great person and I'm going to leave the country for two years. <laughs> so yeah, we started dating right before I left. Um, and uh, I, you know, six months later, I, you know, we said goodbye and we decided to keep trying to make it work while I was away. And so we did a long distance relationship for two years. Um, we got engaged halfway through. Uh, oh, this really? Was, yeah, this was right before uh, phones. And so uh, we still have all the letters we wrote to each other. We wrote letters oh, back and geez. forth for uh, several hundred letters over those two years apart. And someday we'll compile those into some orderly fashion. Right now it's just a stack of letters that we have saved away. Some, I don't even know where they are right now, but they're somewhere in the house. Um, but yeah, uh, so I think for us, our relationship was firmly rooted in communication and knowing one another really well, because we, we dated for basically three years and two of those years we weren't in physical proximity to each other. Uh -huh. And so that developed a friendship. And so first and foremost, we're friends. And so I, I, I can honestly say I married my best friend and, uh, she remains my best friend. So, um, I think that, uh. I, I would, you know, I would always tell anyone who is uh, married or seeking to be married to, to always work on that friendship with your spouse or spouse to be uh, friendship first. Um, that, that's really cool, man. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I feel it's working so far. We're getting on 17 years. So, you know, I, I guess we're doing something right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Just one quick detail. How did you propose not in person. How did that? Oh, no, we were in person. So, so uh, oh, okay. she was doing a choir concert um, with the university choir in Italy. And that was quite a bit closer and cheaper to get to. So I flew to Italy to meet her there. Oh. And her family um, decided to do an Italian trip uh, while she was there as well. So I asked her to marry me in person on a train in Rome, um, right after she picked me up from the airport. Oh, gosh, so, that's cool. That's yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah, in fact, we're hoping to go back there, uh, maybe for our 20th to um and just kind of visit those places we once were you know and see how that goes so that's Love the plan it. right yeah Thanks.
Thanks for telling Jason, me, man. Absolutely. Thank you for asking, Jason. It's been a delight talking to you. Um, I need to uh, I need to bring this interview to an end. So for everyone listening, this was Jason Caldwell. You uh, have seen him, I'm sure, at Cloud and Bridge, and uh, now you know a little more about what he does and how he serves our community. And I'm going to pray for you, Jason. Father, um, thank you so much for my brother Jason and for the gift that he is to those around him. Pray that you fill him with grace and compassion and help him to love the people that you place in his life, uh, the people that he has to lead, the people that he um, that he hires, that he navigates those difficult relationships of um, leadership and friendship and and uh, and how to be how to be a friend to those to those we lead is is not always easy but uh, but I think uh, I imagine Jason does that better than most of us and I pray that you continue to bless him in his decision making and uh, help him to be a, a person who really shows those around him your compassion and love and strength and courage of conviction. Thank you for what he's doing and for all the people around him uh, who serve with him, our community. And I thank you for a chance uh, to get to know him better and to share uh, him with uh, our community. We uh, thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, mm -hmm. Jason. Uh, thank you. Th this has been a production of Cloud and Bridge, our Six Feet Apart podcast. Thank you for joining us. Jason, I hope you have a great night. Likewise. Thanks, Daniel. I really Say appreciate hi. it. Say hi to your family for us. I will. All right. Care.